Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are there really codes in biblical texts that predicted events or people that are around in our own time? How would biblical authors know about such events? If all this is true, are there codes in other ancient documents? Greetings and welcome to the 605th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I am Ben, and those very verbal questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. And this evening we welcome a well-known guest on a subject uh, we have never covered in our over eight years on the air, which I'm very surprised that we haven't. So we welcome your calls this evening. The numbers are 800-449-1240. That's from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. And 401-766-1240 locally. Also, we will monitor our emails. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. Don't forget about our Facebook page. Richard Shaw is director and producer of The Watchers catalog of DVDs. He is also considered a pioneer in nonlinear editing techniques. He founded Z Post in 1994. Uh, Richard is a founder of Digital Solutions, or DSI, in Atlanta, where he was a vice president. He moved to Hollywood 10 years ago, where he formed Pinlight LLC and focuses more on film, HD, and electronic, excuse me, electronic media projects. His clients have included CNN, CBN, New, CBN News, that is, Warner Brothers, Cox Interactive, and many more. His website is pinlight.com. So, Richard Shaw, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, well, it's a pleasure to have you. So, before we get into our subject, can you explain what nonlinear editing is? <laughs> sure. Well, it's basically where you have video and you digitize it in your computer and you sit there and you cut it together through an editing interface. And that's changed a lot over the years. Um, started out with two or three little companies and merged into into several others and and now it's uh i'm i'm at the currently i'm using uh, apple's final cut pro which i really like a lot it's a good program well i, I just we wondered about that because as a professional well, I mean, uh well i know i know what it is but i know you don't what you're right you know what it <laughs> well i mean i film school well yeah, yeah. I, went, I went to film school i however so. did not i'm a newspaper and magazine editor so i, I saw the word editing and it piqued my uh my interest. Anyway, well, uh, if you want to go continue. way back, I mean, going way back, I mean, editing was done on videotape for a long, long time. It was a pain in the butt to do, and no one ever thought that Apple QuickTime would ever mature to the point where you'd get broadcast quality pictures out of it. So that every, people were very skeptical back in 1991 that nonlinear editing would ever become a reality. Well, yeah. unless they were following the thing. Well, that's unless they were following Soviet film theory with Sergei Eisenstein and all those guys. Sure. There we go. All right, well, why don't we... Moving on to, to, moving on <laughs> to a different subject that people actually care about. Uh, the Torah refers to the law of God as uh, recorded in the first five books of the Bible, but what are the Torah codes? Well, it was discovered back in the 1950s that the first five books of the Old Testament, which are known as the Torah... Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy were somehow mathematically encoded. Um, there was a, for many centuries, there were people that were mathematicians or rabbis or people that were, that believed that other information was encoded in the Torah and they looked for it for years. Some of it was done through uh, another way of encoding called gematria, which is uh, the Hebrew text 
each letter has a number associated with it, and you would add those up and get a number as a result. But that was sometimes difficult to quantify or really understand what those numbers were telling us. So in the 1950s, uh, a rabbi mathematician by the name of uh, Michael Duff Weissmandel uh, started doing some counting with his finger and just seeing what he could find in there. And uh, he found repeatable information in all five books. And not having a computer to work with, this was an arduous process, and, and he couldn't go much further with it. Well, fast forward to 1976 when Professor Riff, who was in our film, explained how he was given this idea by another rabbi and he and two other guys worked on writing software to search the Torah with a computer. And when they did that, they found that there was all kinds of stuff embedded in there about things that were happening in the modern era, which shocked everyone. So what experts support this idea, and what are the academic credentials, or their academic credentials, I should say? Well, Professor Eliyahu Rips uh, is a world-class mathematician, teaches at Hebrew University. Um, he's a, a very brilliant guy. Um, Professor Robert Herlich, who is expertise is in probability and in pattern recognition, teaches computer science for City University in New York. So these are much smarter people than I am, and they all have basically come to the same conclusions that this code is real and mathematical. All right. I, um, Have you ever seen the movie Pi? Yes. There is like a segment in there where this guy comes in. He looks like a, a kid studying to be a rabbi and sits with the guy that was the mathematical genius in the film and starts showing him gematria from Hebrew characters. And he goes, those numbers you just showed me are part of the Fibonacci sequence. And the Fibonacci is, is basically a spiral who everybody said, the, remember the Norway spiral a couple of years ago? Yeah, everybody yeah. thought that was in the was, sky. Uh, I thought it was manifestation. UFO yeah, missiles. They thought it was the Fibonacci manifestation. Well, uh, that particular circle is encoded in the Torah, and uh, Robert Herlich, Professor Herlich, has done Torah code tables on. I don't happen to have one handy here at the time, but he told me recently that he was working on that. But he's also working on other aspects of trying to pull more codes out of the Torah. All right. Well, before we get to my skepticism about this, what do some of these codes say? If you could give us a garden variety example. Uh, sure. Well, uh, there are a lot of people make, finding codes in the Bible, and they're not doing it necessarily the correct way. You can't find codes in the King James Version that are reliable. It would be like saying, uh, I'm writing this, I'm creating this website in HTML, and now I'm taking the whole HTML part of that of, of this website, and I'm going to recreate it using Old English. <laughs> yeah. Now, what would that do to it? It would come up in some ways, you might see some things, but in other ways it would completely fail. So the only way that this works is when you go back to the original Hebrew text that the Torah was written in, and use that, and that is basically all of the words that are in the Torah without spaces between the words and without punctuation marks. And that stream of, of information is put into the computer's memory, and then software uses that to actually do a search. 
And, and Professor Ripps has found a table. Uh, one of his most famous ones is on the whole 9-11 disaster. And basically he just went to the newspaper and found the, the words that were in most of the newspaper headlines around the world. And those words were twin towers, airplane, and attack. So he decided to search for those three words and see if they have all appeared in the same table. Well, they did. They all ended up in chapter 20 of the book of Numbers, oddly enough. I mean, he didn't force it to come up in that book. They just appeared there. Um, the entire table that he found, the probability of that happening with, with such relevance is 1 in 10 million, and that was figured out on the computer. The entire table only has 234 letters in it. Whereas if you use like a, a non-encoded text, which the professors call a monkey text, like if you're sitting down just randomly typing, or if you're using War and Peace or you know Moby Dick or some other uh, Hebrew text that, that has a similar text population, they found twin towers, airplane, and attack in a monkey text, but instead of having only 234 letters, this particular example that I have in front of me had 7,772 letters to find all those words. So it was just a statistically insignificant table. All right. Uh, well, does it predict like what? What? What is? It? See, my problem with some of this is like the same problem I have with no, the Nostradamus prophecies or Relays prophecies that you can't, at least as far as I know, you can't seem to see the the, uh, the prophecy until after it's happened. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Oh. I mean, what, what, what's the deal with with these codes? If that's and what's the point? In the well, first place, you, you have to understand that. You know, I'm not a rabbi, and I'm not an Orthodox Jew. I'm a Christian. So some of these things, I've had to just work it out with with these men who I respect as having done nothing much but study this stuff for the past 35 years, and they have a, a basic mantra where they don't believe they're supposed to be making predictions. There's a, a verse in Deuteronomy that says it's an abomination to be making predictions. Well, let's, let's that's involving the like yeah. spirits and things like that. Right. So yet the Torah codes occasionally seem to be doing that. We don't know why it does it sometimes and not others, other than the fact we don't know what to put into the computer to search for because it, it hasn't happened yet. One recent table that happened was uh, Rabbi Glazerson wanted to see back on February 9th if uh, uh, Bibi Netanyahu would be elected. Most of the mainstream media here in the state said he, it was yeah, going to be a really close yeah. race. Yeah, exactly. Everybody here in the states said it was going to be close and he might not win. Uh, Glazerson did a table in the Torah code. It said basically Bibi, which is short for Benjamin, Netanyahu, in 5775, which is the Hebrew calendar year for 2015, the year we're in, gave the Hebrew month equivalent of March 17th when the election would occur. Off to the left side of all that, it says, will be elected. Now, uh, Glazerson did this table on February 9th, and indeed on March 17th, Netanyahu was indeed elected at the behest of most of the mainstream media, who you know, was just saying that he wouldn't make it this time. And instead, he won by a wide margin, so the Torah code was true. Now, in that case, even though that table wasn't tested with a p-value or run through this process, which they call the Monte Carlo experiment, which is basically looking for p-value and statistical significance of if these tables are 
proper or not, all of the key words that Glegerson put in were came out exactly the way it actually happened. So that's kind of proof enough for me. Well, all right. There are a couple of issues here. First of all, nature is, is fractal. Reality is fractal in nature, so, so to speak. Sure. There are mathematical sure. patterns everywhere and in everything. Uh, but my main question about this process regarding the Torah or the Bible, for that matter, or any other document, including my book, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, which someone took and found codes in, and, um, I respect what you do, Richard, but again, one of the issues here is that we don't even know what the original words of the Torah actually were. And the English and the other translations of what you, although you say you use Hebrew, um, the translations are horrific. The text is, is, is messed up word by word, never mind letter by letter. And um, there are... And what makes scribes. you think that's the case? Well, it's a fact. I mean, you know, the... Uh, the the ancient documents were copied, hand-copied, and hand-copied again and again and again, mistakes multiplying as they went. We don't even know which, even from the Dead Sea Scrolls, we don't even know which was the original text, or even if it still exists. I mean, no, no one really knows. Uh, there are all sorts of, I've seen biblical documents in which someone, there was a New Testament in this case, someone, uh, I believe it was the 4th century, no, no, not the 4th, the 8th century, Said, why did you wrote in the margin? Why did you change the original text? And we don't even know, or the text that went before. Nobody even knows what that was. It's it's really a disaster. So if we don't know, well, if, I, you, I would. I, I mean, it's it's fine just to say that's the case, but without actual study going into it to to make a comparison between the the, the best example we have of the Torah, which is the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was out here in Los Angeles and actually on exhibition, yeah. um, and basically looking at the current version of it, the, the really only difference between the two is that the current version they call the Koran, not the Koran, but the Koran, yeah. the most read Hebrew text version of the, of the Torah. The only real differences between the original Torah and the one that's read in synagogues is the fact that there's spaces between the words so they can actually read the text. And yeah, none of the Semitic languages had that originally. Yeah, and so those, for the purpose of searching the Torah, all of those have been removed, which, according to the Midrash and other ancient Jewish mystical texts, that's the way the Torah was originally presented. In fact, they used to have a tool that they would run across the page to help them find the beginnings and ends of words, which was a real arduous process. Yeah. But that's what the computer's getting. I mean, that's we're putting it back to as original as we know it to be, and the fact that we're getting repeatable results uh, that are provable would tend to me, to put some credence into the fact that this is a modern-day uh, phenomenon. Well, before, before we and, leave the subject, uh, no, I understand, uh, but the computer program is only as good as the people who program it. That, that's, that's the thing. Uh, however, well, yeah, but, it's, it, but we know the process of the programming that's involved to do this. The programming does not alter what is being fed. It's just working with, with that information. And it's, it's, it's been updated through the years. I mean, originally, the programming to do this, there was no, in the year that they started this, 1976, they were working on an Apple II computer that had no Hebrew font. So each Hebrew letter was given a number, and just numbers were fed into the, into the system. And they still got the same codes out doing it that way as there are today with a more 
graphical representation, which was invented by Dr. Alexander Rotenberg, who is a graduate of Moscow University. I mean, these guys are not slouches. These guys are not working in their bedrooms. These are these are high-level, intelligent guys with doctorate degrees. Oh, sure. You know, I mean, I know lots of people with doctoral degrees who, you know, are, some are great, some are idiots, <laughs> with all due respect. But I, that doesn't, I just, ha- I still have the original point, uh, Richard, which is that unless, if if your contention is that this is what the orig- original text says, or that these were put into the original text somehow, you'd still have to um, deal with the argument that every single letter that is analyzed by this computer program would have to be original, and the chances of that are just so remote. Um, well, what do you mean original? Well, original in the sense of written by Moses or whoever wrote it. Well, so it's the original document. I mean, in 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 most of the Tanakh or the Old Testament, there wasn't the stringent work done by scribes on copying books of the Bible as there was the Torah. Not until later, anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, even though if you compare the the current book of Isaiah with that which is found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, from what I've been told, it's like an overlay. It looks exactly the same. There's no differences. And I get what you're saying, that if one letter is off, the code wouldn't work. It'd be like putting computer code in your system and and wanting it to run an application. And if you're missing one if, and, or the in the the programming language, then it would come up as an error. But in this case, we're looking at not programming language, we're looking at content. So all I can say is it's working and it's repeatable and people can try this for themselves and get the same result. And that's kind of the basis for science is if you can repeat something and get the same result. Or if every time you look for it, you get something different. Right. No, I get that. Okay. I get that. All right, fine. Well, I, I think my point stands, and, and I, I don't know if, if it can be resolved, but I, I get what you're saying. Okay. Um, no, and that's, that's a valid question, and I don't mind being asked questions like that. Well, good. <laughs> Heaven knows what's going to happen to guests on this show, half the time, or us, for yeah, that matter. Fire, fire you, I, mean, also we're, I mean, we're talking about something in, in, in your show, has a, a paranormal bent to it. I'm not unfamiliar with, with paranormal things either. I, I mean, I've been studying UFOs and in the Watcher series, if you've happened to have seen any of them, the current one... I have. I, very good, actually. Yeah. Well, thanks. Watchers 9, which I'm just finishing at this point, has a segment that, that I produce that uh, analyzes the aliens that are visible on the Combergas UFO. Now, there's actual aliens there. You can see them moving around, and you can see what they look like, and we're revealing them in Watchers 9. So there's there's things going on in this world that have been hidden from us for years that are finally coming out in front. I just think this is yet another example of, of the revealing taking place in our lifetime, of things that are happening that's been hidden. Okay. No, that, that, that's uh, an interesting point. Now, Richard, uh, one of the um, questions that might arise would be, uh, how did these codes, if that's what they are, get into this text, whether it be original or otherwise? Did the authors deliberately put it there? Did some authors deliberately put it there? Was it uh, the, the Holy Spirit guiding the authors, as Christians and Jews believe? I mean, what, what, what's, the, what's the deal with that? Well, I, I have a, a slightly different take on it, in, sure. in my respect, just because of our study with, with 
the whole alien phenomenon and all of that. Now, I'm not saying that aliens wrote the Torah, even though I've read Michael Drosnan's books, and he tends to allude to the fact that perhaps that's the answer. Because yeah, it seems right. like the, infor- the information in there goes far beyond human understanding, how you could encode a text that's telling you the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors, and underneath that whole story is, is something about Benjamin Netanyahu. I mean, that's pretty profound. And how would you do that? So it, it's, it's, it's a mystery, except for the fact that we know that just from reading the ancient text, Moses was up on this mountain, says for 40 days, and came down with this material. Now, no one was really explicit on how this material was given to him. However, um, if you're familiar with the Book of Enoch, which was basically taken away from us by the Council of Nicaea, yeah, our ancestors, 25 uh, AD. Just kidding. Yeah, we were not we were not allowed to read the Book of Enoch, which had information about the Nephilim and yeah. and other things that had happened. Yeah, it's you know, quite interesting. His in, uh, flying around in uh, with the in the craft with the guys and <laughs> yeah, it's tremendously interesting stuff and, and mm. adds credence to the fact of the things that are happening today that we're seeing in our skies, but. It's interesting to me that there is a passage about Moses receiving the Torah in in those books, which most people haven't read, and it talks about that that Moses was given all this information as if it was almost just like stated to him, and he was expected to remember the Torah. But then it said as soon as he left the mountain, he forgot it all in an instant. So then an angel was commanded to write it down and give it to us. Now that's what the Book of Enoch says. Yes, that's now, true. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that I understand really what's going on there, but you know, I, I do think that that God, as a divine being, uh, I doubt He would be sitting there with a pen and paper and then doing this for Moses. It doesn't make sense to me. Like He would say, you know, Michael, go do this and, and do that, and He would give orders. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah and not... angels and aliens. I mean, I don't know if, if we saw an angel today, would we not think it? Is this an alien being? Yeah, it glowing, depends on the cultural context. Yeah, sure. You know, and then yeah. you have New Testament examples of how angels did supernatural events. Like Peter is chained to a wall between two Roman soldiers. This guy materializes in his cell. The chains fall off. Everybody goes unconscious. He walks out the front door. Now, what does that sound like? Mm. It sounds exactly like alien abduction scenarios that we've been studying for the past 10 years. So, uh, Roger Lear was a really close friend of mine, and I, I miss him dearly, but we used to talk about all of this stuff. And so he even thought that perhaps before the whole Tower of Babel incident uh, spoken of in the Bible, that maybe we were all telepathic, because that seems to be the way all these beings operate. Yeah, well, so, well, well let's get back go. to the It's a lot to think about, and Christians are going to get their heads spun around. No, oh, I know, you know it happens all the time. Uh, let's. That, that's all very interesting stuff, all within our, our purview here. But but let's. Uh, we only have about another half hour left, so let's uh, let's get sure. back into the into the codes. Um, are are there other events that can be discerned that were, were discussed that that were not necessarily related to our times? Um, one, I often get frustrated with those who believe that everything in Revelation or whatever has to do with now. You know. Um, I mean, why not? I mean, it, it, theologically, at least according to official scholarship, that had to do with the, with the, the Roman, you know, the diaspora, the Roman destruction of Jerusalem, and the reign of King Hezekiah, right. depending on which areas you're talking about. 
Are there any references that have been found in these texts, uh, if it is legitimate, that refer to the um, the persecutions of the Jews in Europe uh, in the Middle Ages, things like that, or the wars of religion, or things having to oh. do with China or other parts of the world that are, are by no means irrelevant to the human race? I mean, what's well, I'm I'm sure that there's codes on many of those things. I mean. Uh, Currently, the kind of tables that I'm getting, since Israel has been under so much duress lately, or have been about Israel, uh, or they're about the Messiah returning, or they're about something like that, um, which are basically unprovable tables at this point. But there are a lot of tables. I mean, one thing that they did, since these men are rabbis, they looked up all of the most important rabbis for the past few hundred years, and they all came up with a Torah code, one most... Uh, in fact, I asked Professor Ripps what his, the first table that he ever found that he believed that it was more than just other nonsense when he was looking this up, and it was the table of the Vilna Gaon, which was a very famous mathematician from the 1700s, came up in the Torah codes, and he showed it to me, and it says Vilna Gaon, and then it says the genius of Vilna, and then it then it just the line just kept bigger and bigger and bigger, showed his birth, his death, I mean everything. It was all encoded in the same table about this man that lived in the 1700s. Well, that's pretty profound. I mean, you know, that's pretty weird. Uh, Rabbi Glazerson was was in my car one day with his laptop. I'm just driving him to a Starbucks so we could get something to drink. And he was out here in Los Angeles. He lives in Jerusalem. And I said, see if you can find anything about the film we're trying to do. Now, this is before we produced the film, Torah Codes and the Darkness. And he goes, I look up Pinlight. I said, okay, great. And Pinlight is the name of my company. Not thinking that Pinlight would ever be encoded in the Torah. He goes, oh, I found it in here many times. I said, you did? <laughs> he said, yeah, here it is every four letters. Here it is every seven letters. Well, that's an intriguing that letter. We have, to start. we have to take a break right now, but we'll be right back and we'll yeah. continue with that. Uh, thank you, Richard. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240. And New England is beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Russ Gorman. It was written in the stars, and what was written in the stars will be. Your astrological chart is based on the positions the planets were in on the day you were born, influencing your destiny, past, present, and future. I've had decades of experience doing charts with a large celebrity clientele and others all over the world. The stars are a beacon lighting your future. Your chart provides the answers to questions on health, money, relationships, all your most important concerns. The in-depth guidance that you need is here for you. If there's a windfall in your chart, I'll find it. Call me at 401-333-4048 to order your chart or update, revealing the exciting changes coming up. Let me tell you how to get the most out of your future and keep you moving forward. I'm available for speaking engagements for clubs and groups and for private parties. Call me at 401-333-4048. Benefit through my years of experience. Okay, Russ Gorman, whom, uh, who's been on this station for many years, longer than us, and I've never met him. I don't know about you, Bebe. Uh, b- yes, I Benjamin, have. Benjamin, right. Yes, <laughs> I have. <laughs> okay, well, don't worry. Yeah, well, you work here. That's great. All right, so in any case, so I certainly remind you of the various charities Ben and I have adopted, many of them having to do with veterans, both U.S. and Canadian. And we ask you to check that out on our website, BehindTheParanormal.com. There are links there to uh, USACares.org, Builders Helping Heroes, 
and certainly Canadian Veterans Advocacy and a number of great charities, including non-veteran charities such as Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles. Tony LaRay out there doing great things for the at-risk youth in that area uh, with his, his tremendous work at Youth Mentoring Connection. Okay, let's get back to our conversation with Richard Shaw, expert on the Torah Codes, a uh, subject we have never covered, as Ben mentioned at the beginning of the show. So, Richard, uh, but continue with, with what you were you were saying here about uh, sort of the, the, the uh, pressures upon Israel and, and, and the various things that are being discovered by this and, and pin mm-hmm. light turning up in the codes. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, he found one that said Torah code in the vertical at one of the access keyword sentences. It says Torah code. Over the top of the whole page, it says pin light. It says will be distributed in 5775. Uh, which is basically the film is going to be distributed by Pinlight this year, which is actually occurring. And another one he found the word Pinlight Torah codes in my name, Richard Shaw, encoded next to those <laughs> words, which is really just crazy. I mean, it's just uh, well, some I mean, might take that literally. It just, it just seems you can find anything in this if you look hard enough. I mean, as I mean, you know, and, well, not, it, not to denigrate it, your importance to the cosmos. No, no, no. I I understand how you would think that and. It doesn't always work. We had this discussion once. We said, is everybody's name encoded in the Torah? And he said, we can't find everyone in there. So then I said, well, okay, what does that mean then? I said, you know, there is this, this scripture that says that everyone whose name is in the book of life. And I said, could it be that the Torah, the encoding of the Torah, is everyone's name that's encoded in the book of life? And I, I was I asked him about that, and he said it, it could be. We we don't know. And I, I mentioned that uh, I was we were, I was on a coast to coast with George Norrie a few months ago. Some guy called in from Canada with that question, and of course George then immediately wanted to know if his name's encoded. Yeah. <laughs> oh, his uh, so George. We, yeah, I, I can hear that. Yeah. Yeah. George oh, I got to know <laughs> in there. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, okay, but it's this is not Google, George. I'm going to need to go offline with you and get personal information from you so that, you know, there might be, you know, 10,000 Georges listed in this world. We don't know. So we found amazing tables of George Norrie that, that, that go beyond mere chance and speculation. Those are on my website, pinlight.com. But basically one of them that Professor Rips found, it said, loves the paranormal but clear-cut along with the name Norrie George Radio Broadcaster, was all on the same table. Now, this was all in a, the, the loves the paranormal but clear-cut was all in a continuous sentence with the same skip. That, right. Now, the chance of that happening is remote at best. Well, people might be getting a little confused right now about how all this actually pans out in these tables. However, before you do that, before we burn up the rest of this hour, if you could tell tell people again about your website, uh, your work, the films, where they can get them, and where they can find out more about you, Richard. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. Our official website for the Torah Codes is at endtodarkness.com. It's like end, like the end, to darkness.com. And we have it in Blu-ray with a standard def version in it in the Blu-ray box. We've got it in just standard def, and we have it streaming on Vimeo and iDef. So any way that you want to get the film is available there. And then if you want further information about that or our other films, you can just go to pinlight.com, P-I-N-L-I-G-H-T.com. Okay. 
Very good. Thank you. A uh, question about the tables. And when you say the tables, can you describe that? And, and people are probably wondering by now, you know, where exactly do you find these words in this ancient text? Uh, I know that, so, unless I'm wrong, sometimes it's it's diagonal or whatever. I mean, how, how exactly does that work, and how do you make a table, and what's involved there? Sure. Well, basically, you start out with a set of words you want to look for, and that's called a priori. Basically, you're choosing these words in advance so that you're not just snooping for them in the text. So you make a list of the words that you want to find, and you start looking for them by putting those words in Hebrew into the Torah code computer, and if they all come up in the same table, then uh, what you end up with is a graphical representation of these words. Some might look horizontal, some vertical, some slightly diagonal, depending on the number of skips between the letters. The reason why these words come up in shapes, backwards, forwards, up, down, sideways, is through a process known as resonance, and that's just basically a physical law of the way things work. I mean, if you I don't know if you've ever seen these YouTube videos that people have done where they've connected a big sheet of steel to a a voice coil off of a speaker, and they have a sweep oscillator hooked up to it, and they pour uh, rice on it, and then they they put a tone in the oscillator. The rice starts dancing around and making patterns, and as they increase the frequency, the rice makes a different pattern. And every time they, they have a doubling of frequency, the rice generates a completely new pattern. Sure. Well, that's yeah. what the Torah codes are doing. It's basically a, a law in physics that happens when called resonance, that as you increase the ELS between the skip between the letters, the letters sometimes take on a different shape. Now, was this all rabbis, or are, have people done it with the Quran, with the uh, other scripture, I mean, other books, you know, the Atrahasis, or any thing? of the ancient, uh, yeah, uh, that sort of thing. It, it, well, the, the, what, what has been shared with me, and I've, I've asked the rabbis about this, said, well, so is there anything that we could find in uh, the other book? And the answer that I always get is, yes, there is some encoding, but it's not like we find it in the Torah, meaning that uh, they have this, this phrase that they use often, either best meetings of words, best pairing of words, meaning that words that are associated to each other whether they come up horizontal or vertical or whatever in the table, are touching in the Torah. I mean, they'll be like, this happened uh, way back in 1997 when uh, Drosnin put out his first book called The Bible Codes, and on the front cover of his book it says, uh, Yitzhak Rabin, assassin, will assassinate. And the words assassin will assassinate cross the name of Yitzhak Rabin, and he found that table a year before Rabin was actually assassinated. And then later, after they discovered who his assassin was, they found that name also encoded in the same table, which was really, but they didn't know, this is the, the process of why we can't predict the future always, because we don't know what the name of this guy is, so look for it in the table. It doesn't tell us that. It's not like you put a name in and the code just magically gives you all these names, like, without looking for them. That's not how it works. So... Um, Back in 2009, I got a table from, and this is on, if you want to see this table, it's on the End to Darkness website in the Gematria video that we put up for free. It's basically uh, a table that I was sent by uh, Dr. Rotenberg and Rabbi Glazerson about Obama. And 
it basically said your father is Islamic. Down at the bottom of the page, it says one born in Kenya. Well, yeah, all right. Now, I, I, I asked him, and I said, whatever possessed you to want to look for those particular words that long ago? Because this is like the year after Obama was elected, and everybody was kind of floating on the good waves. We thought that, you know, things were going to go great. And so I didn't want to really release this cable because it was somewhat inflammatory in those days. And, and he said, well, I had just heard someone say that he was born in Kenya, so I thought I would look for it in the same table, and there it was. Well, again, I don't know. That was this, pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, do there – well, it's, it's, it strikes me at like a crystal ball or astrology or something, and I, the way – what? No, no, no. It's it's not that way. Crystal ball is using spirits and using all of that. Well, focus. you could that astrology is is also a lot of times key to tarot cards and this type of thing. This has nothing to do with that. This is total math. This is nothing but a computer looking into the into the Torah, using numbers and coming up with with the words that are in there. There's no mumbo jumbo spiritual thing going on. It, it's hard and fast computer stuff. That's all this is. All right. Well, again, well, some with, people... It's the same with gematria. Yeah. So I just want to make that point clear. This is not like divining. It's not like any of those things. Well, I hear you. I'm still questioning yeah. the legitimacy, though. How Could you explain again, uh, or, or more fully, perhaps, how the words are formed? I mean, does this, does this computer program pick out... Suppose you have a block of text. Does it pick out one letter... You know, up on the left, and then another letter down, five lines down on the right. Or does it have, does it have to be sequential, at least in some rudimentary way? No, that's not how it works. You have no uh, uh, control over how these words end up on the page. You just are, are trying to find to see if they're in there. But, but, but I mean, the how in there meaning what? That the, that the letters of the word Ben or whatever are on the page somewhere. I mean. Is well, that? I mean, uh, how, how random uh, is it? I'm I'm about to tell you. Thank you. What you do is you you put the the words that you're looking for into the search mode of the of the computer software for this. So the one that most of the rabbis use is called Soft Soft Torah, and they put a word in there, and that word will come up or not come up. If it's not in the Torah, it'll show zero. If it is in the Torah, it'll show how many times it is in the Torah, and it will calculate every different that that word is available in the book. So it'll say, oh, okay, uh, here's, here's the, the word Benjamin in there. It's in there uh, 57 times, say. One at a skip of every 110th letter. Here's one at a skip of 1,024 letters. Here's one at a skip of, you know, a, a massive skip of 7,824 letters, something like that. So basically what you would do then is say, well, I only want to use the one that is the highest in probability or the one with the lowest amount of skips. So that's what I know Glazerson likes to do. If it only has a skip of four, that's pretty unusual. So he'll pick that. And then he builds the table with his other words based on their skips being uh, similarly small so that it, it couldn't be, say, it's just random chance that it's happening, but these are these are words that are in there with, incredibly small ELSs. Okay, and I get the idea of the what, mathematical pattern. I think I see what you're saying. Yeah, so then what happens is once those words are determined and you pick the one, the skipped version that you want to use, 
then it generates a graphical representation of the table. Now, what's very interesting is sometimes the words that you pick out are topically tied to what we call the plain text or the unencoded Torah text that's floating underneath all of these words. That is really interesting when that happens. Uh, we found a table about the BP oil disaster. All of the codes for BP oil disaster came up in the book of Genesis, floating over the phrase, and the fountains of the deep were broken up. We had another table talking about 9-11 that all appeared over the plain text that said, and fell that day about 3,000 men, which is really weird. You're talking about airplane and terrorist attacks, New York, all that stuff. And underneath that in the plain text, it tells us how many people died that day, and it's about three people less than than what actually the Torah says, but, I mean, it's, it's an approximation. It's 3,000 people, and that was encoded 3,300 years ago. And don't ask me how it was done, but that's what's in there. Now, that's why I think right. this is so interesting. What about, uh, what, what does it predict for, or, or again, can this be done this way? What, what does it predict, say, for the next 10 years? Or the next 100 years, 1,000 years? Is there anything like that? That you can tell uh, well, happens. no, I don't. I don't think they've been looking for. I mean, it, sometimes they'll look ahead. Like, here's a here's a great example for that. I can go like 15 years into the future. Okay. Um, there is a a table that Glazerson sent me recently, and I said, you know, since the book of Daniel says shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, shouldn't we be looking for codes in the book of Daniel? if there are any. And it's intriguing that the, the first verse of chapter 12 of the verse of book of Daniel, which is where this other verse also comes from, is from the 12th chapter, talks about uh, a time of trouble. The phrase, a time of trouble, also appears in the book of Jeremiah, which he'd already done a gematria on. Now, gematria is a different thing. It's not a Torah code experiment like what we're talking about here, but basically... That phrase adds up to 776, just like it does in the book of Jeremiah, adds up to 776, which is kind of interesting because 776 is essentially this year in the Hebrew calendar of 5776. So there are rabbis all over Israel currently who are furiously searching for gematria in the Torah for the number 776. Some of you can change their email addresses to include that number because they believe this is the year for the Messiah to return. I mean, I'm just telling you what's going on there. Yeah. Well, I've this is some rabbis. This isn't a monolithic Jewish belief. No, I'm just saying, in Israel, this is what's going on. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, if you happen to look at uh, one of the news um, articles there, there's, there's a um, publication called Breaking Israel News. And they have a whole section on Torah codes because the people are doing it to such a huge degree there at this point. All right. Okay. Are there any that you're aware of, Richard, any uh, codes that disagree with one another or that seem to be in conflict with one another? In other words, one says one thing about something that happened or a person, and somewhere else it'll be something something different that, that might uh, cast doubt on the other prediction or, well, or statement? There have been negative codes found, but sometimes they have been found not using proper Hebrew. And 
this is a, a problem where people that don't understand how things were worded that long ago, which is why I find Rabbi Glazerson's work so valuable, is because that's all he studies, is how to word these things in the way that the Torah would have worded them. So, uh, you know, there's, there was a, a, a code that people were afraid that uh, Netanyahu was going to be assassinated. So he looked it up, and it said, uh, Netanyahu killed, but then right in the same line it says, the hand will not get him, which is really kind of strange. So it's almost like we're asking if he was killed, and the answer is no. But, again, it takes a lot of, of discernment and discretion to know what it is these these tables are actually saying to us. And there's also quite a bit of argument that goes on over where, whether certain tables are significant or not, if they really have a decent p-value, if what we're reading is really true. But then there's the other aspect, which we go about into the film, where we've said that some of these tables may just merely be echoing what people are talking about. It has nothing to do with being predictive. Yeah. And a great great example of that is I asked them years ago, I don't know, it was 2007, I guess, what the Torah Code say about 2012, because everybody was talking about it. Sure. That? It was a big, huge thing. Including us. And they didn't know what I was talking about. I said, well, you know, 2012, the Mayan calendar, the end of the world, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I figured if there's anything to it, there'd be something in the Torah Codes about it. Well, I didn't realize this would start them on a quest looking for 2012 tables, and they found all kinds of stuff in the Torah about it, the end of the world, 2012, uh, and so on and so forth. It even had the date which they believed the, the Mayan calendar began, and this was like when Enoch was 25 years old. I mean, they went clear back and did a study on it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Mm. It was profound. But what we really learned from this is that the Torah codes was merely echoing what everybody was saying about 2012. End of the world is what a lot of people thought was going to happen. It was all. Well, it depends what you mean by the end of the world. Well, uh, yeah, exactly. So I thought what was interesting is that Glazerson did a table later, which I thought was more interesting. He did something that said December 22nd, 2012, which was the day after everybody said the world would end. And it said, in the access keyword for that table, it says, change in the world, December 22nd, 2012. And to me, that is really true. We've had so much crazy stuff happen since then that if we would look back three years to when that happened, it's, it's really profound what's going on in the world. Yeah, I tend to agree. Yeah. Thing and everything yeah. else, you know. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, I hope that answered it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it, it did. Uh, I'm still very, very skeptical. However, uh, anything <laughs> is possible. Right. Yeah, anything, anything is possible. Uh, okay, well, I was going to ask you too about um, the uh, the Torah itself. Now, the Torah is the law contained within the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And wh- why would the Jewish law, in particular, contain such codes if it does and are there any other areas of the old testament is you know there are many books beyond the pentateuch that that also contain codes and has that been studied as well and why I'm, would it just be the yeah one? i'm 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 sorry i didn't answer that completely when you asked me that some of that before i mean the torah uh isn't all about the law 
it, it, like the book of Genesis really doesn't deal with the law. It kind of gives us historical information. It's the story of Adam and Eve. It's, you know, it's, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All that stuff is in the book of Genesis. It's an intriguing book. Exodus is about Israel being rescued from Pharaoh and all of the crazy things that happened then. So really the law doesn't really occur until the book of Leviticus. So it's not really the whole Torah that's about the law. And these people needed some guidelines uh, in order to survive. And those laws today are, are, are not as valid, although I know there'd be a lot of Jewish people that would that would disagree with that. They're still uh, living, trying to live under the law, which is an almost impossibility nowadays. But um, so it's it's not all about the law. In fact, uh, Glazeston revealed the other day that the book of Deuteronomy is supposed to be the book about the end of days. Now I gotta go back and reread it to see really what he's talking about. But that's that's the last book of the Torah. So there's a lot of information in there, but. But the idea that other books are encoded, um, the word Obama was found encoded in the book of Ezekiel, the 38th chapter. Now, we don't know why that's in there, but there wasn't a table really found in that book, just that word. There are isolated words found in other Old Testament books, but not tables like we find them in the Torah. Okay. All right, we're just about out of time, uh, Richard. But again, w- let's take this last minute, minute and a half here, and talk again about uh, your work, about your your DVDs, and your website one more time. Well, thank you. I mean, we're we're just about to release Watchers Nine, called Days of Chaos, about all of the crazy things going on. It includes some of the stuff on Gematria about the Torah codes, but it it basically has stuff about Planet X. It's got things about Jade Helm. We went into to why the bees are dying, uh, uh, all sorts of stuff. It's, it's an hour and 50 minute film. It's the longest documentary I've ever produced, and um, we're going to have that releasing soon. But uh, the Torah Code film is available now at endtodarkness.com. Any further information you'd like to know is at pinlight.com, and thanks for letting me tell everybody that. Sure. Okay, well, I'm still skeptical. Ben, we got a couple of seconds. You want to make a comment here? I've been walking all over the uh, domination of the lines here. Well, I mean, that's that's <laughs> you. You're a very opinionated person, and uh, well, not opinionated. Well, you, you're very, you who usually lays out the guest. Not me. Well, I mean, I'm I don't. Really I don't nice. see. I, I don't see a need. I don't. <laughs> I hope I've been nice to you, Richard. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we. Um, it's okay. I'm. I'm still here. I'm not drooling yet or anything like that. That's a good no. point. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's a lot to be considered, and I I feel like I'm not well versed enough to come up with a complete opinion. But I will say that um, it is an interesting phenomena. I'll, I will put it that way, and and um, it's definitely something I kind of want to learn more about before I make a full fully rounded opinion about it. That's very wise. well. If you want to see what the rabbis refer to, you can go to TorahCode.us. That is maintained by Professor Robert Terelik. And it has includes hundreds and hundreds of tables, and anybody can go there and look at what, pretty much whatever they have. Okay, yeah, just fair enough. speaking from ten years in the seminary and having studied Hebrew with a rabbi who, for two years, who never mentioned a word about this. Uh, that, maybe that's part of my skepticism. Anyway, Richard, thank you so much. It's been a very interesting conversation, and we'll talk to you again. It's a pleasure, anytime. Okay. 
And, uh, folks, I have um, a rather important thing to be at in half an hour, and it's going to take longer than that. So I'm going to leave the show in the capable hands of my good son. Everything explodes. And we'll, <laughs> we will talk to you next week. It's only if you use the men, uh, what, Mentos in, in the Diet Coke. Oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, I will see you next week. Indeed. There are many announcements, including uh, this, this, um, our most recent event, or our upcoming events, I should say. This, uh, this uh, Thursday, I should say, on September 24th, we will join the Haunted House Diaries author, William J. Hall, for a joint book event and uh, paranormal program at Hank's Restaurant in Brooklyn, Connecticut. Hank's has great food, and it will be a lot of fun. And that will be at 6.30 p.m. The program is free, but the food is extra meaning that the food actually costs money. On Saturday, October 17th, we'll once again be speakers at the Greater New England UFO Conference at City Hall in Lemonster, Massachusetts, and we will present a different variation on our subject, Aliens vs. Demons, Which is Which. Other speakers will include some uh, renowned experts uh, familiar to our listeners, including Richard Dolan, Peter Robbins, Mark D'Antonio, and William J. Hall. He keeps popping up in all of our announcements this evening. So you can visit susantom.com slash ufo.html for more information. There's also links at our website as well. And speaking of our website, you can visit our website, behindtheparanormal.com, where you can find nearly 650 free podcasts and past shows from both ON1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And you can find my dad's books at amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, and Barnes & Noble Nook. Uh, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, he will sign them for you, and you'll help us keep all those podcasts free. Also, our website, uh, our websites, uh, you'll find direct links to the, the uh, charities that my dad and I have uh, it talked about and included and adopted. Uh, that also includes USA Cares, uh, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, also Youth Mentoring Connections, uh, YMC in Los Angeles, doing amazing things for at-risk youth. That's www youthmentoring.org and there are two recent uh, just released books uh, by Global Communications that's Timothy Beckley's publishing company that would be of interest to our listeners one is the Bell Witch Project which contains uh, that story as well as a few contributions by my dad on the historical or the historic paranormal case here in New England uh, or well, yes, and uh, including the, or the 17th century Specter Leaguers of Massachusetts, and these 18th and 19th century vampire hysteria in Rhode Island and Connecticut, and of special interest uh, to folks here in the ON1240 listening area is another uh, Beckley book, uh, UFO Repeaters, with an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier. Uh, he is dearly missed, and his talk show here on ON for over. 50 years. So both those books are available at Amazon.com or use the links online at the online bookstore at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. And that's in case you haven't heard that enough. So next Monday, September 28th, we will offer an open line show to tackle listener questions that have come from uh, all over the world on all sorts of paranormal subjects. And I know that we've been uh, demanded by our, our our listening audience that we have more open line shows so now we're accommodating more time for that and it will be great fun and we will answer maybe two or three questions it depends on how much we have to read so we leave you this evening uh, with a thought from the Dalai Lama old friends pass away new friends appear uh, it is just like the days the old day passes a new day arrives 
and the important thing is to make it meaningful. A meaningful, a meaningful friend or a meaningful day. I'm Ben Eno, and my dad is gone. And thank you for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we shall see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.